The Copyright Office, a congressional agency, is taking a bow for success of its online recordation system. The system lets people submitting documents for copyright applications do so online. How successful? Let's get the numbers from the assistant register and director of the Office of Copyright Records, Denise Wolford. Ms. Wolford, good to have you on. Good morning, Tom. It's great to be here. And let's begin with what it is that the recordation system records. That is, what sorts of documents do people need to get into the Copyright Office aside from the work that they're trying to copyright itself? Or is that also part of it? Yeah, Tom, that's really a great question because a lot of people get the copyright registration confused with recordation. But recordation is really about transferring your copyright over to someone else. And so we have a lot of artists, creators, and authors, lawyers who are working with individuals who transfer copyrights over to other individuals. So for example, let's say, Tom, you write a novel and then someone comes to you and they say that they want to make that novel into a movie. And so you may transfer part of your copyrights over to that movie producer so that they could make that movie for you. We do do a lot of copyright recordations in the office, and it's all part of making the public record a complete record in terms of the copyright ownership. Understood. So before this system was piloted, how did this happen? It was all paper by mail, basically? Yes, Tom, it was all paper by mail. It was very time-consuming. It was a long process. People basically mailed in their paper documents along with their title of works, and we would actually literally record that information manually into our indexing system. So it took a lot of time to do that process. As you can imagine, our recordation specialists would have to contact people to ensure that they were entering the information correctly. A lot of times the fees might not be correct. And so the process was very long. And so now with this new modern system, everything is done online. It is streamlined and it's much, much better. And we're getting really good results out of the new system now. Things are being processed in weeks versus months under the paper process. And looking at the site itself, there is a lot of types of paperwork. There's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different types of documents. And give us a sense of the volume, uh, how many applications come in for this recordation every year, how many transactions, and how many are now being done electronically versus a year ago before the pilot. Yeah, a year ago, we roughly processed five to 6,000 documents annually. Now we're seeing the volume increase significantly. I mean, the system was first piloted in April of 2020. Since that time, we've recorded over 19,000 documents, but just under a million titles of work. So it's significant improvement in terms of the use of the system. We're very pleased because people have really engaged with the system, and now we're starting to see more documents being recorded because of that. And it looks like you still need to add more documents that are not yet supported by the system. Again, according to the website, notices of termination, declarations of ownership in musical works, and so on. What is the issue there, and do you plan to add those? Yes, Tom. So we've developed the basic documents, the 205 documents. That work has been completed. And under our continuous development process, we are planning on adding the additional documents that aren't currently available in the online system. So that would be the notices of terminations and the other documents that currently are not recorded. And I noticed that documents not compatible are those, for example, with more than 10,000 works including alternative identifiers and so on. Who's got 10,000 things that they would transfer in the first place? Is this like 
Taylor Swift or Bob Dylan or something assigning their works? So actually, that does happen quite a bit. We have law firms and organizations that have quite a bit of number of works. It could be photographs, it could be music. And so we do get often a lot of titles of works that we have to actually record. It could be hundreds of titles of works. So it does happen. And what form can these different types of documents be in? Because they could be, I guess, Word documents, PDFs, JPEGs, whatever the case might be. Can the system as it is accept all of these different formats? Yes, it can, Tom. So most of the documents that come into us are either in Word format or PDF format. Those documents are uploaded as part of the system. But the way the online system works is you actually input all of the key information directly into the system. The document is uploaded as part of that whole package that's submitted to our office. All right. And when people have documents that are not yet supported by the system, along with documents that are supported, then you've got kind of a hybrid. There still might be paper associated with a, let's call it a case, for lack of a better word. How do you correlate what might be in a file cabinet with what you were able to get online? Well, for the ones that are not supported through the system, we still have the mail-in process that's still available to the public to use. And we are looking and working right now to expand the system to allow all of the different types of documents, like the notices of termination, to be included in the system as well. But you can correlate those with what you have online, with what you might have physically. There's some way of identifying this goes with that if one thing is in the system and something else is in a file cabinet. So when you submit to the office, your options are either submit online through the online system or submit in paper, not both ways. So everything that you would submit to us online would be done through the online system, and it will accept whatever documents you submit to us through the online system. And Tom, we should note that those documents have to be PDFs uploaded into the system. And how did you develop this? Was it in-house staff? Did you use a contractor? And how's that all going? Well, actually, that's a very good question. We actually have in-house staff as well as contractors that are supporting this effort under the Enterprise Copyright System Modernization effort that's underway. And so that process has been going very, very smoothly. We are currently using the Scale Agile model to actually do the development, which is allowing us to roll out the software in phases. Interesting. And earlier I asked about the copies of the works that are being copyrighted. That, as you said, a different process here than the reassignment of the copyright. But on that initial front end, how are things going electronically? Is that also being electronified, so to speak, for, for people that make the initial copyright application? So, yes, Tom, we actually have an existing system in place that was an online system for the copyright registration component. We are currently in the process of actually modernizing that part of the system as well. And so that is currently under development. And we're looking forward to being able to launch a pilot soon on that. And you mentioned 205 documents. That's a legal reference to the enabling legislation for all of this? That is exactly correct. As you know, Tom, the U.S. Copyright Office is based off of Title 17, the U.S. Copyright Act. And so Title 17 defines the actual procedures and regulations and rules that govern what we do within the U.S. Copyright Office. And so 205 documents fall under Title 17. And this is often confusing to the public, but the other types of ownership modes, patents and trademarks, of course, those exist in the executive branch under the Commerce Department. 
And do you ever talk to those people or do they talk to you? Because even though one is congressional, one's executive, they have a theme. You know, this is my work and I want it to be protected in some manner. Again, patents and trademarks over there, copyrights over here. But do you all ever trade ideas and trade methodologies ever? Yes, as you know, patent and trademarks are slightly different than copyright. We work very closely with the Patent and Trademark Office because it's all about intellectual property. And so we work very closely with them. In terms of the copyright law, we are focused on things that are related to creative works. They could be paintings, phonographs, sculptures, jewelry, illustrations, musical compositions. I mean, various types of things, textile designs, and a lot of other things are copyrighted all considered intellectual property. And getting back to the recordation system, it's still called a pilot. At what point will it be declared a system of record and it's there forever or till the next update? Well, the system is still called a pilot and it's called a pilot because of the legal rules around it, but the system is actually live. And so the information that's being processed through the system is actually official information that is being updated into the copyright public record system. Denise Wolford is Assistant Register and Director of the Office of Copyright Records at the U.S. Copyright Office. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. And we'll post this interview along with a link to that recordation system at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. 
it's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Um, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, the, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came 
do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. That's just mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.